This is Edward October for October Pod, take one. We know a remote farm in Lancaster, where Mrs. Buckram lives. Every July, pumpkins grow there. You really mean that? I think you're reading the wrong script. You're supposed to be telling folk about October Pod. Let me, um, let me get you a copy of the new script. <clears throat> but, but that's bad copy. I think it's so nice that you see a snow-covered field and say every July, pumpkins grow there. Ed, what are you, what are you looking at? What snow-covered field? This is an audio promo. Edward October for October Pod, take two. We know of a fjord in Norway, near where the cod gather in great shoals. There, Jorg Tostensen frees the cod, adding a crumb-crisp coating. Ooh, that's tough. Crumb-crisp coating. Let's just talk about October Pod. You see, Ed, I was thinking... Ed wasn't drinking! What? I said thinking. I was thinking we should just talk about your show. You know, October Pod? Retro horror for bold individualists? I didn't say anything about drinking. You didn't say it. He said it. Who are you talking to? Your friend. There's no one else in here. Edward October for October Pod, take three. This is a lot of shit. You know that, don't you? <clears throat> now, you want another one on what? Peas? Stream October Pod, available now on YouTube, Vimeo, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Podchaser, and at OctoberPodVHS.com. October Pod. Retro horror for bold individualists. This podcast contains adult content. Some of the themes or topics may include information on murder, kidnapping, torture, dismemberment, maybe some demonic content with information on positions and paranormal activity. This podcast will also include explicit, horrible, and foul. Socially unacceptable. Totally uninhibited. Adult themes language. So if you're easily offended. If you're easily triggered. Then I highly suggest you turn this off now. And if not, just keep in mind. Parental discretion is advised. So Chris Kyle, one of the most decorated snipers of all time in American history, credits Carlos Hathcock for being his inspiration to become what he became. In my mind, Carlos Hathcock, who only had 93 confirmed kills, is the greatest sniper, not just in America, but in the entire world. He would sneak in with less technology than we have now. His weapon systems weren't anywhere comparable to what we have now, but he would sneak in to take out one target take out that target from a distance and sneak back out, and that could take him a week. That is the true sniper, the stealthy, getting in and out, being able to ID a target all alone, and then take that shot and leave. For a sniper, time is irrelevant when you're invisible. Inches can take hours, and kill shots, days. Surrounded by the enemy, a level head is all you have to rely on. And if you're Carlos Hathcock, one of the best that's ever lived, extra bullets won't be needed. Because it only takes one. He becomes an instructor for other snipers. He helps to institutionalize the art of marksmanship and sniping. He's become a legend. Hathcock continues his work as the Marine Corps' most deadly agent before his career is cut short by a landmine that demolishes his transport vehicle in 1969. But the severe burns he suffers 
leave him unable to shoot reliably. The memory of the Vietnam War for many years was put aside. Americans wanted to forget it. But America never forgot Carlos Hathcock, his determination to sacrifice himself, if need be, to save the lives of his colleagues. All of these combined to leave behind the legend of the man who perhaps was America's greatest sniper. What makes a good shooter? What are the kinds of skills and controls and attributes? Really got to have a good head on your shoulders and be able to absorb everything that's going on around you. I call it getting in my bubble. It's nothing but pure, absolute, utter concentration on the job you're doing at the time, which is what I did when I was sniping. Hey everybody, before we get started, I do have to thank some new Patreon subscribers. Shelby Westergaard, Stephen Hernandez, Cliffy Potter, thank you very much. Rachel Clemens, I received your message on Patreon. Thank you f so much, and uh, I'm glad you appreciate the shout-out. Kathleen Obana, thank you very much for the episode suggestion. Yours will be on Patreon this month as well. And uh, gotta give a huge shout-out to Aaron on Venmo, uh, who donated a single donation, and Natalie. Natalie literally gave the biggest single donation I have ever had. I can't even thank you enough. If anybody would like to subscribe to Patreon, go to patreon.com slash mysterious circumstances, or you can do a one-time donation at Venmo, which is at MC Podcast. You can find me there. So, for those of you interested, I will not read reviews at the end of this episode. I will do it at the end of the next episode, which I will be featuring Deputy X. He is back for another episode. I will read reviews at the end of that. And believe it or not, I have a great shitty review from somebody regarding Carlos Hathcock Part 3. We have a little sensitive Sally who decided to leave a review in regards to something I said in that episode. So that should be fun. So as for that, on with the episode, I do have to clear up an inaccuracy that I had on part three. It was not 90% of Carlos Hathcock's body that was burned while he was on the Amtrak and it exploded. It was actually 43%. I do apologize about that misinformation. As you guys know, I try to clear that stuff up. A couple of my sources were pretty dramatic, apparently, and I did uh, did get the straight facts, and it was 43% of his body that was burned by the Amtrak, and still, considering what that man did, absolutely nothing to scoff at, because this dude legitimately is a badass nonetheless. So let's continue on with this episode. Hathcock, by the time he had finished his two tours in Vietnam, and actually he didn't even finish his second tour, by the time the Amtrak incident happened where the Amtrak he was riding on exploded, he had notched 93 confirmed kills. Like I had mentioned previously, the injured Marines were taken to the hospital ship known as the USS Repose, and they were medevaced out of the uh, area in Vietnam. They were taken to a Tokyo Naval Hospital, and Carlos Hathcock and a lot of the other guys had such severe burns that they were admitted for long-term treatment at Brook Army Medical Center in Texas. 
Now, by the time Hathcock was declared fit for active duty again, the war in Vietnam was over. So in 1970, he joins the Marine Corps Rifle Team because Carlos Hathcock does not stop. Uh, he couldn't handle a weapon, though. His burns would not allow him to strap on a shooting jacket, and he could not he couldn't tw twist the leather sling of an M14 around his wrist because his burns were still so severe. He could not even they were so bad he couldn't even take direct sunlight. So he had to stand in the shade. He would have to wear long-sleeved shirts. He had to wear a white, really wide-brimmed hat and white gloves because if direct sunlight hit his scars and his, you know, burns and everything, it would just cause him so much extreme pain. But the guy didn't want to stop. He was still out there. He just kept hanging on, you know, and... He really wanted to shoot again, though, but it got to the point where while he was shooting, his scars would split open, and his sweatshirt he would be wearing would start soaking in blood from his burn scars splitting open. But do you think Carlos Hathcock would leave the rifle range? No, he fucking wouldn't. It would take his fellow Marines to pull him away every day off of the range before he would stop that's how <laughs> that's how dedicated this man was uh it doesn't matter what your opinions are like this guy's dedication and the balls this guy had is honestly nothing to scoff at people don't understand it's it's just honestly amazing he didn't want to stop, and the main reason he would stay out there is because he had so much knowledge of what he did and what he was so good at that he didn't want it to be wasted. He wanted to be out there on the rifle range teaching other people. He wanted to service all these other people and the knowledge that he had collected and that he had even grown up with while he was out there. But in 1975, when he was stationed on a submarine, because, well, he was still enlisted, because Carlos Hathcock is a badass at this point, we've all established that, due to still enlisted in 1975 when he stationed on a submarine tender in Spain, he had trouble. He noticed his uh, legs were really, really weak when he was trying to climb the ship's ladders. So he went and got a checkup at the doctor because he thought it was just because of his scars and the burns that he had received. And when he went to get this checkup, he was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. But do you think that stopped Carlos Hathcock from serving? You are absolutely correct, it did not. He continued his service, but it, by about 1979 and early 1979, it became clear that any further strain on him could be fatal. Like, the doctors straight up told him, they're like, dude, with your burns that you received, combined with multiple sclerosis... If you keep going at this rate, you will die. 
you will die sooner than later. So in April of 1979, 55 days short of his 20 years of service, Carlos Hathcock was involuntarily retired from the United States Marine Corps with 100% disability. But since he got medically retired, he was given 100% disability benefits. But because he was retired 55 days short of his 20 years, they stripped him of his 100% military pension. And various reports say that it was about half of his full pension. And according to Carlos Hathcock himself, he says, quote, I was bitter, really bitter. I thought they had just thrown me out to pasture, end quote. And he was, he was super, he ended up getting super depressed of this because he had given his entire life, like every ounce of his being, to being the best Marine that he could be and to teaching other people this skill that he, I'm sorry, I that I personally believe that he was born with. This isn't a skill that can be taught to everybody, but he lived his life trying to teach this skill and to help fellow Marines and to save fellow Marines lives or anybody else for that matter, as you're going to see, like he was very, very bitter about this. And the fact that it was 55 days short of his 20 years, he did not get that hundred percent pension. I'm sorry, but as a Marine myself, that is an absolute slap in the face. When I read that, and I read and saw an interview with him about that particular situation, I got a little emotional about it. Because like I said, man, this guy gave every ounce of everything he had to the Marine Corps. And they just threw him away because he wasn't of use anymore, which is extremely sad. He ended up going into a really deep depression because of the forced retirement, and he felt like he was betrayed by the people he loved the most, by the Marine Corps, by the people he had given every ounce of himself to. While he's in his house, you know, he has nothing to do. He's, he's retired. And, you know, mind you, he has MS, so it's not like he can go out and do a lot of things combined with the the severe third degree burns that he suffered back in you know 69 th they affected him for the rest of his life so he sets up this room in his house called his bunker and it's basically this tiny little room with small windows that are up near the ceiling i'm pretty sure we've all seen those houses you know they have those tiny little windows up by the ceiling you know probably wood panel you know, and shit like that. And for a full year, Hathcock lived in this room. And even he said, quote, I was sitting there like a slug, looking at nothing, reliving the war, my career, my life. I felt I wasn't of any use to anyone, end quote. He tried 
going out and messing around in the yard. But when he would go out there, the heat and the stress, like he couldn't handle it physically. So he would start taking walks down by the waterfront. And one day he wanders into this tackle shop near Virginia Beach's Lake Whitehurst. And he kind of likes what he sees in there. He sees a shitload of fishing gear. And it's as intricate and as detailed as a rifle. And men are in there talking about their boats and lures. But they were talking about it in a tone that Hathcock recognized. And according to him, it was the same tone he had used when teaching his Marine students about shooting. Because there was a certain skill level behind it. And there was a certain mastery behind it. So he came back to the shop the next day. And then the next day after that. And the next day after that. And pretty soon he was helping out with uh, odd jobs around the place. And he started... And he ended up becoming friends with the owner, a guy named Steve McCarver. And according to Hathcock, he said, I was getting back into my life again, doing something and helping somebody. And he ended up taking a hobby up of fishing. And it helped get him out of depression. By then, he started getting contacted by all these local police departments and special military units like the newly developed SEAL Team 6. And he starts sharing his expertise with these people about being a sniper and what it takes to be a sniper. Now, Hathcock always said that his ability to survive through certain situations was because he was able to get into a bubble. And he could put himself into a complete state of focus. And he could do that with his equipment and his surroundings. While he was still in the military, he was shown a passage from Ernest Hemingway. And it said, quote, Certainly there is no hunting like the hunting of man. And those who have hunted armed men long enough and like it, never really care for anything else thereafter, end quote. And Hathcock, during his life in the Marine Corps, he had jotted this down on a piece of paper, and even he never remembered where exactly he saw it at, but he jotted that down on a piece of paper and he put it in his pocket, and that's he agreed with it, because it wasn't about killing people. Like I had mentioned in part three, he didn't enjoy killing people. He was doing his job, but at the same time, it was the, the, the thrill. It was Carlos Hathcock being a counter sniper when other snipers were sent out to kill American troops or fellow Marines. Carlos Hathcock was the guy that they sent after that counter sniper because Carlos Hathcock was better, hands down. And he proved that time and time again. It was, it was the hunt that truly drove that guy. So do you experience stress, have anxiety, or chronic pain, or have trouble sleeping at least once a week? You are not alone. Many of us do. Personally, I have a lot of problems with anxiety and sleeping at night. 
instead of taking other substances, I was searching for anything that would help. Then I discovered Feels CBD. What is Feels? It is a premium CBD delivered directly to your doorstep. Feels naturally helps reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. And like I said, it helps me sleep at night and it reduces my anxiety greatly. It is super easy to take. You put a few drops of feels under your tongue and feel the difference within minutes. The thing to remember about CBD is that finding your right dose is important and everyone's dose is different. So remember that. So leave room to experiment over the course of a week or so. You may need to take more or less to get the effects that you're wanting to get after. There's also real human support, so if you're new to CBD, Feels offers a free CBD hotline to help guide your personal experience. You can feel better naturally. Feels works naturally to help you feel better. There is absolutely no high and there is no hangover or addiction. And membership is super easy. You can join the Feels community to get Feels delivered to your door every month. You'll save money on every order, and you can pause or cancel at any time. So I gotta say, Feels has me feeling my best every day, and it can help you too. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash mysterious, and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. And for anybody who has... Um, dealt with CBD before, you know that that is a great deal. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash mysterious to become a member to get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Again, that is feels dot com slash mysterious. So if you're looking for that way to feel better, help reduce anxiety, help your sleep, try it today. And it's great because when he took up fishing, he already had his bunker, his quote-unquote bunker in his house. He had, you know, weapons, trophies, medals, photos of his time shooting and his time in Vietnam and the various awards that this guy had won. But once he starts taking up fishing, he starts hanging up other citations. And those were fishing citations. And according to Carlos Hathcock, he always said, quote, they say I've got to avoid stress with this disease. Gotta do things I enjoy. And I can handle sitting on a riverbank waiting for the cat to bite. End quote. And I'm sorry, but all you country boys out there like me, you know exactly what he's talking about. Sitting out by that riverbank, sitting on that John boat. You know what I'm talking about. Sitting there with the bobber in the water, man. That lure reel and that lure in real slow. Waiting for that bass to bite. Waiting for that bluegill to hit that bobber. You guys know exactly what I mean. And his son eventually did join the Marine Corps in 1983. And once he finished his first agreement, he signed up for six more years. And Carlos Hathcock was pretty happy about that. He just said he was glad to see that, you know. He never really pressured his kid too much. And then in 1984, Hathcock could not believe it that a writer named Charles Henderson wanted to write a book about his life and his time in the Marines. Like, Carlos Hathcock, even up until the day he died, could not believe that people admired him for what he did he was in awe that people actually gave a shit 
You know what I mean? And it, they, he couldn't believe that people just thought what he did was unimaginable because even like I said in part three, when he was offered an award, like this guy was offered a fucking recommendation for the Medal of Honor. Okay, with the whole Amtrak explosion and with him saving seven fellow Marines. And he said he didn't want an award because he was just doing his job. Up until the day he died, he honestly could not fathom why people thought he was so spectacular because he was just a regular guy in his own mind. He was just really, really good at something. And then in 1986, him and his wife, Joe, got summoned to Washington, and he was awarded an exceptional leadership trophy at a black tie Marine Corps banquet. And again, the dude was shocked. He could not believe that they wanted to give him this award. And then... Later in 1986, a member of the Norfolk, Virginia Police Department emergency response team calls him up and they ask him to teach sniper techniques to a four-member rescue squad. Hathcock jumped at that opportunity. You know, he, he spent at least one day a week sharing his secrets that it pretty much took him a lifetime to learn with this response team to try to help them and to teach them how to save lives and how to be better at what they were. And according to Hathcock, he said, quote, I've got this head full of stuff. I just want to help people, end quote. And unfortunately, by that time, Carlos himself was not shooting. The last time he tried shooting was in the fall of 1984 when he went on a hunting trip with some friends. And he did enjoy walking through the woods because it was that familiar feeling, man, of him being a kid, you know, and all that good stuff. And he said the sounds and the smells brought him back to his boyhood. But he says when it came to use his rifle, he could not do it because... When it came down to pulling the trigger and taking the life of a poor wild animal, Hathcock said, I just couldn't. I quit right there that day. And in the fall of 1984, that was the last time that Carlos Hathcock picked up a rifle. On February 22nd, 1999, in Virginia Beach, Virginia, Carlos Hathcock died from complications resulting from his multiple sclerosis. He was buried at Woodlawn Memorial Gardens in Norfolk, Virginia. His son eventually followed in his footsteps, and he retired from duty once he reached his father's rank of gunnery sergeant, and he was given a member seat at the Board of Governors of the Marine Corps Distinguished Shooters Association. Carlos Hathcock is still, to this day, a legend in the United States Marine Corps. The Gunnery Sergeant Carlos Hathcock Award is presented every single year by the National Defense Industrial Association to recognize any individual who has made significant contributions in operational employment and tactics of small arms weapon systems, which have impacted the readiness of capabilities of the U.S. military or law enforcement.
The Marine Corps League, or the MCL, sponsors an annual program with 12 award categories, which includes the Gunnery Sergeant Carlos Hathcock II Award, presented to any enlisted Marine who has made an outstanding contribution to the improvement of marksmanship training, and there is a sniper range named for Hathcock in Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. In 1967, Carlos Hathcock set the record for the longest sniper kill ever. He used an M2 50 caliber Browning machine gun mounted with a telescopic sight at a range of 2,500 yards, which is 2,286 meters, in which he killed a Viet Cong guerrilla. This record was not broken until 2002 by Canadian snipers Rob Furlong and Aaron Perry from the 3rd Battalion of Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry during the war in Afghanistan. This success led to the adoption of the 50 caliber BMG cartridge as a viable sniper round. Sniper rifles have since been designed around and chambered in this caliber since the 1970s. Carlos Hathcock even had a rifle named after him. The Springfield Armory designed a highly accurized version of their M1A Super Match rifle with a McMillan stock and match grade barrel and dubbed it the M25 White Feather. The rifle has a likeness of Hathcock's signature and his white feather logo marked on the receiver. Turner Satterley similarly honored Hathcock by producing a line of leather rifle slings based on his design. The slings are embossed with Hathcock's signature. And on March 7, 2007, the Rifle and Pistol Complex at Marine Corps Air Station Miramar was officially renamed the Carlos Hathcock Range Complex. Now, while you're letting all that sink in, and yes, that's very easily found knowledge, all right? A lot of this is. And, you know, a lot of my sources are, like I said, the book and uh, a lot of articles, two interviews and articles that were written about him in the Virginia Pilot. But just... I wanted to do this series for for a couple reasons, one of which was because I wanted to find out for myself how much of this was true, because we have all seen the movie, well, a lot of us have seen the movie Sniper, I can't say all of us, with Tom Berenger, you know, and that's based on Carlos Hathcock's, uh, you know, the Cobra shot, where it goes straight through the scope, doesn't touch the sides, hits the sniper in the eye. All this and that. But I wanted to find out how much of all the other stories were true. I wanted to find out how much there was to this guy. But more importantly, I wanted to do this series because as I started doing my own research early on before I decided to do this series, as I started finding out more and more about Carlos Hathcock, I thought it was important for people to realize the context not so much of the Vietnam War, not so much of snipers, but the context of Carlos Hathcock himself and who the guy was and what he was about. 
And a lot of people might shrug off snipers this, snipers that, blah, blah, blah. But Carlos was a very interesting man. He grew up dirt poor. When he was shooting out in the woods, he was putting food on the table for his family. He couldn't miss shots. And that type of mentality when he eventually got into the Marines made him so successful at what he was because growing up, it was about survival. It wasn't that he enjoyed killing rabbits or squirrel or whatever else. It was because if he didn't kill those things out in the woods that day, the dude was not going to eat. His mom was not going to eat. His grandma was not going to eat. It made him form that bubble that he talks about when he was shooting, how he just gets in this trance, in this bubble of just absolute focus and absolute concentration and everything like that. And he just is one with his weapon and one with his surroundings to the point where the guy does not miss. And yeah, I mean, he himself will tell you, you know, I missed plenty of times. He's like, the average round spent per kill of an enemy soldier in Vietnam for a sniper was 1.3 rounds. He didn't fucking miss very often, whether it be in his everyday life, out on the shooting range, training other Marines. The guy wrote the syllabus for the Scout Sniper School in Quantico, Virginia. He was an absolute master and expert of what he did. Don't get me wrong, he did have some training and honed his skills after he joined the Marines. But don't forget, when he went to Vietnam, he was, a, he was an MP. He was a military policeman guarding POWs. And he took it upon himself. He said, I can shoot. And, uh, you know, Jim Land... He knew exactly what Carlos Hathcock would do because he was with him over there and helped train him. He went, Carlos Hathcock went through his school over there in Hawaii. He knew exactly what Carlos Hathcock could do. And here's the one thing you got to remember. Even if Carlos Hathcock was not a sniper, what he did in 1969 when he saved those other seven Marines literally disregarding his own safety, his own well-being, because he was quote-unquote doing his job, and he's burned 43% of his body with third-degree burns. After regaining consciousness, goes back in to save these people. That alone right there is something to be in awe of, and that right there is something to respect. Now that the episode's over, I am going to leave you with one last audio clip of Carlos Hathcock. And it is an interviewer asking him how he would like to be remembered. How would you like to be remembered? But a pork roast. (laughs) (laughs) That's an Arkansas man, you know? That's it. You're a, you're, a, you're a very famous person, you know, uh, in your field and that. And when you're gone, how would you like to be uh, looked at or remembered? Would you like to be? This, that I did a good job. I did a good job. 
That's all I want. That's all I want. Just trying to do my job. That's all I want. Be recognized as somebody marine trying to do his job.